real blessing to be back here at Knollwood again. See many faces that uh, we know quite well. To see a few faces, at least that we don't know at all. And that's a good thing, because uh, that means that uh, the Lord is still at work in drawing people to Himself and drawing people to Knollwood Church. So we're thankful for that. Uh, I didn't get a chance to meet Pastor Nathan yet. I'm looking forward to that sometime, but instead I'm, I'm filling in for him. So, you know, that's all right. I guess I'm, I'm Pastor Nathan for the day and I don't even know him. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to share God's Word with us today, and then I also want to share a brief update uh, about what's going on in Spain. And the two things go together. And it's kind of a speed sermon in a way, but I want you to pay close attention. Because I want to ask you a question before I even start. And that is this. What have you done since Easter? What have you done that you would have never have done if you were not a Christ follower? Is there something you've done in your life? Have you been obedient? Have you done something that you would not have done had you not been a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes it's easy to be a fan of Jesus rather than a follower of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus becomes a little bit like a political party. We can almost be pro-Jesus like either we're pro-Trudeau or pro-Trump or anti-Trump or anti-Trudeau or... We, we, we choose sides. And in some way, we'd rather be on Jesus' team than, say, Muhammad's team or Buddha's team. But, you know, when the Blue Jays get on the field, you don't play. You just root. But you know something? Christianity's not that way. We get on the field and we play. We're not fans we're followers. And so I want to take a quick look at what happened at Easter and what it means to us now. Because I live in a country where people celebrate Easter. Oh, they celebrate big. They don't celebrate Easter really, but they celebrate Holy Week. They spend all week parading around and being very religious. And it means absolutely nothing to them during the rest of the week or the rest of their lives. That's not Christianity. That's not true Christianity. That's not following Christ. That's being religious, but it's not following Christ. Before Jesus died, he said something very special. I think it's on the screen. No, maybe it's not on the screen. I guess it's coming on the screen, is it? Or maybe it isn't. There it is. (laughs) He said, I'm on my way to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that my followers will have the same complete joy that I do. Well, what is it that Jesus said that would give us such joy? Well, some of the things he said was right before one of the darkest hours in human history. Certainly the darkest hour in his life and certainly the darkest hour in his followers' lives, his crucifixion, which was horrible. Yet he says, right before the crucifixion, I want these people to have the same complete joy that I have. Joy? How do you have joy when you're going through cancer treatments? How do you have joy when your dad just died? How do you have joy when you just lost your job? Well, how did Jesus have joy just before he went to be crucified? Maybe he has something for us. Something important for us. 
So just before he was crucified uh, and went to the cross, he said some interesting things. And I think they give us another, let's look at the next slide. I think he gave us a spiritual EEG. How many of you ever had to do this? I have. Yeah, okay. So they thought I had sleep apnea, and guess what? I had it, and I have it. So I have to use one of those CPAP machines and all that. But to find out, they hooked all these things all over my head, and then I went in there and slept. And you know what they were looking for? Brain waves. They were seeing if I had a brain, and if it works. You know? Thankfully, I have something up there. I'm not sure. It wasn't working quite right, but it was there, so that was a good thing. But I think we need to find out, is our spirituality, is our spiritual brain working properly? Are we really alive spiritually, or are we just going through the motions? Does Jesus change the patterns of your life? The next slide, before Jesus came to Jerusalem, or just as he came in, he had a a triumphal entry, we call it. But I think it wasn't as triumphal as we think. I think it was a very strange entry, really. It was an expected entry. If we look in Luke 19, he says to his, to his followers, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now that's pretty weird. What if you went out in the parking lot today and somebody was getting in your car? And decide to drop it. This is what it was like the car of the day, right? Somebody's getting your car and they say, Oh, what are you doing in my car? Oh, the Lord needs it. Oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> right? You probably would not do that. You would probably call 911 and say, There's a clown stealing my car. So, but what happened was, when this, when the disciples went there, sure enough, the guy said, What are you doing? The guy said, Lord needs it. All right. So they took this donkey, which was kind of like the car in those days. The interesting thing is, in the book of Zechariah, hundreds of years earlier, this was predicted. That Jesus would do exactly this. So Jesus was fulfilling scriptures, even as he entered the last moments, last days of his life. In the next photo, we see that This entry was not only expected, but it was enthusiastic. A lot of people were, they loved it. So they brought it to Jesus. They brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt's back. And they put Jesus on it. And Jesus rode toward Jerusalem. And other people spread their coats out before them on the road. They were enthusiastic. They were fans of Jesus. Cool. He's done these cool miracles. This dude is all right. We like him. Go, Jesus, go. (laughs) But what happened less than a week later? Some of those same people were saying, crucify him. How does that happen? How does that happen? It's because if you're not a true follower, you can be influenced by anybody, by anything, and we tend to go along with the crowd. Nobody wants to be all by themselves in this world, and we see it all the time. It's hard to stand by yourself. It's hard to stand for truth. And sometimes we stand up in church for truth, but at work where nobody else is standing up for it, it's really hard. And sometimes we can be just like these people, cheering for Jesus on Sunday, and quiet as a mouse on Monday. What else happened though? It was an enthusiastic entry. 
But I want to say something else about this. In the next slide, it was an enigmatic entry. What does that mean, enigmatic entry? It was confusing. It says, when he came near Jerusalem, at the place where the road went down to the Mount of Olives, a large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voices for all the great things that they had seen. God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. It was confusing because some of these people really were followers of Jesus. They were really his disciples. They loved him. Some people were cheering for him just because of the things he did. Because of the miracles. They loved the free bread. And the free fish. That was good. And so they cheered for him. They really liked the free medical care. That was cool. And so they cheer for him. And yet, when it gets right down to it, their hearts weren't with Jesus. Some people's were. But many of them weren't. They were just kind of following on the edges. They hadn't really given their hearts to Christ. So it was an enigmatic entry. We had those who were with him and those who kind of seemed like they were with him. It was also an enlightening entry. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, command your disciples to be quiet. Jesus answered, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. How could a man say this? How could any human being just say this? They were saying to keep quiet. Why? Because they were saying Jesus was blaspheming. That he was accepting worship from people. And who can accept worship? Only God. But Jesus was saying basically, I am God. I accept the worship because if these people don't worship me, even the stone will worship me. The creation will worship me because I made it. I am the creator. I am the one that deserves the worship. We're not following some political leader. We're not following some military leader. We're not even just following a nice guy. We're following the man, the God, who put it all together and who keeps it all together. I've been doing a little study on, on quantum physics lately. Now, that sounds crazy, but both of our mothers are kind of falling into dementia pretty, pretty badly in some ways. And uh, we've heard that if you keep learning new things, that helps build the neurons to kind of ward off some of that dementia. So we're hoping maybe we'll go a little longer than, you know, I don't know if it'll work or not. But one of the things I did is started studying some quantum physics. And that may not be for everybody. But the thing that, that grasped me or got me is the further you go into physics, the closer you come to theology. It's incredible. It's incredible, really. The, the, I've been amazed by how much now the Bible seems to line up more and more with physics. Not that the Bible is a science book. I don't trust, I don't say the Bible is where I go for science. But not that the science books are theology either. But it's interesting. The connections are quite interesting. God is amazing. I will never figure him out. We will never figure out Jesus because if we could, he wouldn't be God. So we have to fall down and worship him be amazed by him. I love that song about the wonder. Experience the wonder. There's a great wonder in following Christ. Because he's awesome. 
I want to move on in this story just before he died, and that is that he not only had an interesting entry, he had an interesting exit. His exit was envisioned. When we look in John chapter 17, we see the prayer that Jesus made just before he went to the cross. And in verse 1 of chapter 17 in John, it says, After Jesus said these things, he looked toward heaven, prayed, Father, the time has come. Give glory to your Son so that the Son can give glory to you. In verse 11, he says, I am coming to you. I will not stay in the world any longer. In verse 13, he says, Now I am coming to you. Was Jesus a victim of circumstance? No. No. His exit from this world was thought out. It was planned. He was ready for it. Did he want to go through it? No. Because the Bible even says, Lord... He said, pray, Lord, if there's another way, I don't really want to go this way, but if there's another way, can I please go that way? But there wasn't another way. He was ready to give himself for you and for me. It was really an envisioned exit. It was also strangely sound. It was an efficient exit. In verse 4 of chapter 17 in that prayer, he said, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And in verse 23, he said, I will be in them and you will be in me so that they will be completely one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me. Let that sink in a minute. Is that what the world sees? Do they see Jesus loving us? Are we united? Are we loving one another so that the world can see the love of Christ? I pray that's what it is. Because He does love us. He loves us intensely. And He finished the work. It was an efficient life. He finished the work. It's interesting. He, he completed the work that God had given Him to do. But it wasn't just efficient. One can be efficient and not be effective. But Jesus was effective as well. And in his exit from this world, he prays, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us. Jesus was praying for us. He prayed for you. His prayer was effective. You're here, I'm sure in grand part, because Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for all of us. What an amazing thing that the Son of God would pray for us. In verse 24, he said, Father, I want these people that you gave me to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the world was made. <laughs> Reminder, Jesus was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. There's no way you're going to escape from Jesus because he's here. And he will be here. He's always been here. In verse 26, I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. He continues to reveal himself to us. That's part of why we come to church on Sunday. Is to hear God's word. But it's a shame that that's the only time you hear God's word. We should be reading God's word on a daily basis. We should be hearing what God is saying to us daily, and we should be responding to it. If God tells you something today, the big question is, what will you do tomorrow? 
Will you be the same tomorrow? Or will you actually do something that you would not have done had you not been a Christ follower? You see why I asked you that question at the start? Are we just like the world? Are we just fans of Jesus? Or do we actually listen to Jesus and do what he says? Do we actually follow him? Are we obedient? Or are we just happy, shiny people, as R.E.M. once sang about? Is that what we are? Now I want to talk to you about the G. We talked about the E and the E. We talked about his entry and about his exit. But I think the main point here is the goal, the G, the goal. I believe the goal of Jesus' life here was that we might have faith and that we might show that faith. In his prayer in John 17, he says, And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If your friends and your family do not know Jesus Christ, they do not have eternal life. Eternal life is found in Christ. Eternal life is not apart from Christ. There are people who want eternal life, but they don't want Christ. That can't happen. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus prayed. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Who is he talking about here? Just those 12 disciples, or I should say the 11th, if Judas is already gone? No. He's talking about all those who will come to know him through their message as well. Us. He sends us into the world. We'll talk a little bit about what that means when I share just briefly about Spain. If we keep going on, the goal is not only faith, but it's forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 1, that's the other passage I want to look at. In verse 3 it says, He reflects the brightness of God's glory and is the exact likeness of God's own being, sustaining the universe with His powerful word, after achieving forgiveness for the sins of all human beings, he sat down in heaven at the right side of God, the supreme power. That's where Christ is. But you know what? He still interacts with us. He has forgiven us, and he is still revealing himself to us, and he still loves us, even though he's in the seat of the power of all the universe. Jesus has forgiven us. That is a huge thing. Because a lot of people never feel forgiven, and so they go through life feeling frustrated. The second goal, I think, is family. He wants us to be part of his family. In Hebrews 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call, call them his brothers and sisters. Do you ever think about that, being Jesus' brother? Or Jesus' sister? You are. If you have him here in your heart, you're his brother or his sister. Now that's pretty cool. We have the same father. We have the same father. Absolutely. We have the same Father. That is amazing. God as Father. We're adopted into that family. 
What an awesome thing. What a goal of Jesus' work on this earth. Another goal he gave us was freedom. In Hebrews chapter 2, we continue in verse 14, 15, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that he, by his death, might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, people fear a lot of things. A lot of things. People fear all kinds of things. They fear what somebody thinks about them. They fear about their job. They fear about money. They have fears about the weather. They have fears about everything. But I do think one of the biggest fears most people have is death. Especially if they don't know Christ. They they fear death. They wonder, what on earth is my life worth? Where am I going? Why am I here? But Jesus died so we don't have to. So we can live life and enjoy life that He gave us because we know that the future is secure. The future is already in His hands and we're in His hands. And so I can enjoy this life. I can live this life to the fullest and I don't have to spend my life being corralled by fear. Fear is a killer. There's a lot of people, you know what, says it. Bored. January 1st, 1960. Died January 1st, 1980. Buried January 1st, 2030. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of people are dead while they're alive. Because they're so afraid to live that they don't really live. They spend their life in fear. And who is in charge of that fear? The devil. Not God. So Jesus died in order to conquer the person who had, or the being, that held people in slavery. And that's that's the devil. And Jesus died that we might break free from those bonds of fear. Faithfulness. The goal is faithfulness. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Please remember that. There's no test that's too big for Jesus. Will you go through tests? Yes. Why? Because you're human. Not because God is picking on you, but because you're alive. You will face death. You will face loss. You will face failure. You will face adverse weather conditions. You will face scars. But you know what? You can Trust that God is faithful. He will not leave us behind. I know that. I mean, all of my friends here know, you know, I lost all three of my siblings when they were young. I mean, before they got to 30. I'm the only one. I lost my dad last year. We've gone through things. This last year has been the worst year of my life physically. I aged more in one year than I did in the first 60 you know, I mean, I've had troubles with my ankles, with my back, with my hands, with my arthritis. You know, I mean, I, this one year has made me feel old. But you know something? God's still faithful. Amen. He still loves me. And even if my body falls apart, I don't fall apart because He's still faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's take a look at these EEG results real quick. And the EEG results say this. They say the same thing Jesus said at the start. And now I'm coming to you and I say these things in the world so that they might have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. 
Is his joy in your heart? How are you doing on your EEG? Is, your, is his joy in your heart? Are you allowing him to enter into your life to give you the exit plan that you need and to reach the goals that he has for you in your life? Well, I'm going to ask you one more question, and we're going to see it on a, new, on a different uh, PowerPoint. And the question is, so what? <laughs> so you just preached, nice sermon, pastor, now we can go home. Whew, hallelujah. Not quite. <laughs> gotcha. I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're doing in Spain, how this relates to what we're doing in Spain, but also what it, how it relates to what you're doing right here in London. So I don't want to want you to go away. I don't want you to go away without feeling like you get a chance to do something because, you know, right? We're not just fans. We are, what are we? Hey, very good, followers. Somebody, somebody's been listening. So if we look at that next slide... After this one, the one with what are we going to do, we find uh, that we have to find ways to enter into people's lives. And in Spain, one of the ways we enter into people's lives is we find things that we can help them with. Now, this picture was taken in Portugal, but it was for our work in Spain. Kathy has led, for example, there groups of sewing, sewing classes. And she's led like cooking groups. And she's taught English, we get into people's lives where they live, where their needs are. And we can do that in Canada. You can teach somebody something you know, and as you do, you can share the love of Jesus Christ, and you can reflect that to the people around you. Another thing as far as our entry is, we come alongside them when they learn. This is a picture of me, a strange picture there I am in the background of my Portuguese class. And you're saying, well, I thought you were in Spain. I am. We live close to the Portuguese border, and we wind up going to Portugal fairly often, and I thought, well, it'd be nice to know a little Portuguese. But the main reason I did this, same reason I went to painting class and some other things I've done, is to get involved where the people are. And if you're learning right alongside them, it's amazing how often that has opened a door for me to talk about Jesus and why I'm there, and what I'm doing, and what my life is about. And I try to reflect the values of Christ in my classes that I take. Another way we enter is we have to remember that our entrance sometimes isn't right away. We invest in people. This this family here was interesting. We invested in them in an English class the first year we were there. And about, what, three weeks before we came home, they called us and invited us out to their, their house for a barbecue. Now, that means you have to invest for the long haul. And that's what we found. Spaniards are really slow, really slow. <laughs> but if you invest in them as people and human beings and friends, they do eventually open their hearts to you. They're not our project. They're people. They're fellow pilgrims that we come alongside. And when we make evangelism a project, we are doomed. We should be discipling people before they even come to Christ. And we disciple people by teaching them kingdom values as we're getting to know them. And we make no bones about the fact that we're Christ followers from day one. 
And then they know who we are right, right from the start. We, right from the entry. We don't suddenly spring it on them after six years and say, Aha! I'm a Christian. Here's a Bible. Wham! Clunk you over the head with it. You want to come to church with me? And they're like, whoa, dude. What's going on? No. We be who we are. Followers of Jesus. And that allows people to see us for who we are and see Jesus for who He is. Well, this sounds funny, but in Spain we need an exit plan. You know why? Part of it is this whole aging thing, right? I'm probably not going to be in Spain for a long, long time. Because I guess getting older. I mean, maybe I'll be there till I die. Maybe God will have us there until we're 75 or 80 or 90 or who knows what. But one way or the other, we're going to leave Spain someday. And if everything depends on Ken and Kathy, that's a failure on our part as a missionary. We need to have an exit plan now. How are we going to do that? Well, we need to plan to make disciples who make disciples even without our help. And you need to do that too. I love seeing now Noelwood has that, don't they? Make disciples. What is it? The same thing, isn't it? Make disciples who make disciples. Isn't that what Nathan's teaching you? He's right on. Right on. We should be making disciples who make disciples. And the best way to do that is to help them become disciples from day one. But also with that exit strategy thinking, they don't need me all the time. They need Jesus. They're not a Ken follower. Heavens no. We want them to be a Jesus follower. Another thing about our exiting is we have to remember, like I said, we won't always be there, but Jesus will. This is a picture I took when I flew home from Spain. This is northern Spain from the airplane. (laughs) But we're not always there. So we have to teach the people to be able to feed themselves, to get into the Word, to say, what does this say to me? And then to be obedient to it. Right? Another interesting part of leaving or exiting is Leaving begins before you start. Discipleship begins before they become believers. This young man here in the foreground, you see two people here, a one man seated and one man who's standing. And the young man who is standing is really seeking Jesus. He is seeking something. He has not become a Christian yet. The man seated is named Salva. He is blind. He is a blind psychologist that has come to Christ that we baptized a couple of years ago. And he is the one who's been reaching out to this young man and sharing Jesus with him. Now we've shared Jesus with Salva and Salva's sharing Jesus also. And now what we hope is that as more people come to Christ, they will do exactly the same thing because they will know already how it goes. They'll see how it works. How you just share Jesus right from the start. You don't just suddenly parachute in on people. And so, hopefully when we're gone, there'll be other people reaching other people, reaching other people. So those are our entry, our exit. Well, what's our goal? Disciples making disciples even before they're disciples? Really? I think really. You see the fellow here on the right... It's interesting. He uh, he owns a bookstore, and uh, we we shared with him. And I have a book that I wrote in, in, in Spanish about marriage. I 
think I shared that with you last time I was here. Well, he, he, he sold that book for me. He didn't sell very many because it hasn't sold that many copies, but that's okay. I'm not a bestseller. But, but he was really interested in that book, and he was interested in what we were doing, and he was interested in our lives. And one day, he just he asked me, he said, uh, you still do those things you do? And I didn't know what he meant. But I said, yes. <laughs> I, said, I thought, hey, if he wants me to do something, I'm willing to do something, I guess. All right. He said, well, uh, can I invite some friends over, and could you share with them, like, your, kind of like your thing, what, how you, what you think about? And, you know, he was trying to say, you know, basically, would you share with them about your relationship to Christ? But he didn't really quite know how to put that. I said, sure. So he invited some friends. We met at a bar, and it was kind of a bar coffee shop place, and we, and we met there, and he brought a couple, another couple. They came over, and we had a wonderful conversation with them. Eventually, he and another guy helped Kathy start an English group with a bunch of people that Kathy can tell you about afterwards because it's a long story. You don't have quite have time. But we wound up making contact with about 24 new people through him. Not yet a believer, but it's given us an opportunity to tell Jesus to, about Jesus to other people through a person who isn't yet a believer, but we're doing pre-discipleship with him. Do you see what I'm saying? He's learning what it means to be a Christ follower even before he is a Christ follower. So you can pray for Javi and uh, pray for the others who so desperately need Jesus. Well, this is kind of interesting. The goal over here on the left is in Spanish. That's the, for those of you that speak Spanish, that'll be pretty easy. How many of you speak Spanish? A little bit. What does that say on the, what is, what is that on the left? My Spanish is good, my eyes are not sure. Okay, well, that's all right. It's, a, it's the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. But you know, in the Great Commission, I put it there on purpose in Spanish, but uh, you know what the Great Commission says? It's interesting down toward the bottom there, it says that we are going to make disciples. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey. Yeah? Sometimes we forget that part. But that's the Christ follower part. We obey what Christ is teaching us. And the little funny dots on the side, you're saying, what on earth are these funny dots on the side? Well, if the one on the top of that star, if that's me, and I'm, sharing, I'm trying to share with the person out there on the far left there, and, and, they, and then they share with somebody, and maybe they're going to share with somebody else, and I come over here and I share with a guy over here, and this guy starts to share with somebody, and he gets another person going, and some of them keep sharing, and some of them don't, but the point is, we want to make it so they're disciples who make disciples. Well, when you look at it, I wind up discipling four guys. And yet, if you add up all the people that are discipled up here, we have over 100. Well, 101. But hey, it's 101. You're not going to disciple 101 people probably. But you probably could disciple four people and teach them to do it. And they could teach it to other people who could teach it to other people. And that's our goal in Spain. We want to start a discipleship-making movement. Not so much be church planters, although if a church comes out, we, we want to see churches. But sometimes the problem in Spain is, even among evangelicals, is they're more worried about a location, like a, like a 
building than they are about sharing Christ. And what we're about is helping them people come to know Christ. So finally, what is the real goal? What is Jesus asking you to do this week? Will you obey? Who will you share the results with next week? Think about it. Will you be accountable for your obedience to Jesus? I pray you will be. So we can do it in Spain or in Canada. And we can do it now. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for Knollwood Baptist Church, what it's meant to us for many years. Thank you for the people who loved us when we came back from Chile, when we didn't have a church home, and they welcomed us in with, with open hearts. Thank you for people who have just showered us with their, their kindness, their prayers, their, their messages to us. Lord, we, we're so blessed by this church. May you continue to bless the people of this congregation. And Father, may they be known in London as Christ followers, not your fans, but your followers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.